This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to a brand new edition of Under the Dome with CD. Hopefully you're having a great Dare I say stupendous. Hold on. All right, there we go. I can hear myself a little bit better now. The the headphones were a little little low, if you will. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself on this fantastic Saturday morning. And, of course, as always, we are coming to you live from the beautiful, palatial, and opulent First South Farm Credit Studios. Looking good. We are definitely looking good. Let's play that one more time. Baby, we're looking good. Because we're feeling extra good on this Saturday. And, of course, appreciate you listening in however you're doing. So be it through that Tower of Power, the FM dial. The Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Uh Uh-huh. And, of course, the free mobile app. 1037thegame.com, or your favorite smart speakers, Google Home, Amazon, Alexa, the smart speakers that you have, you can listen to us through there. And I highly recommend you do so, because you'll get us crystal clear, and I guarantee if you're if you're out on the porch, maybe having that first cup of coffee on a Saturday morning, I know we just had first cup wrap up, but hey, you know, it's Father's Day weekend, maybe you want to kick back, relax, maybe you're about to get some honeydews out of the way before the Father's Day tomorrow. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself either way. And, of course, if you're popping that first top, getting the weekend sort of on a good note. Appreciate you listening in as well. And hopefully, if you got it on the smart speaker, you got it cranked up. That way, it says in the intro, this should be played at a high volume, preferably in a residential area, and I have to wholeheartedly agree. That way, it just is a whole damn party on a Louisiana Saturday morning. And hopefully you're getting ready for a fantastic weekend. I know I sure am. And you make it a good one. I think that's the best thing. That's the thing, biggest takeaway that I always have is to make it not just a good day, but a great day. Especially since it's the weekend, you got to make this really count. Because come Monday, you're going to definitely maybe want that weekend to last just a little bit longer. But now let's get down to brass tacks and get some serious for a moment. Because we need to talk about what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning. And get down to it in the Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Oh, testify! It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. If anybody's ever listened to Under the Dome with CD, be it in the OG 10 to noon, be it in the 11 to 1 or the 9 to 11 slot we're currently in now, knows... That I'm very much a negative person when it comes to the New Orleans Pelicans and the drama. It's been a soap opera over the last few years. 
And over the last few days, I have definitely been that way in the immediacy. Because that's how I am for the most part when it comes to anything. One of my uncles on my dad's side, he called it a while back, catastrophizing. And I love the word, first of all. And it actually is a word, apparently. Did not realize that until not long ago. But I'm a person that is always going to be thinking about the worst-case scenario, no matter what it is. But with the Pelicans, I am definitely catastrophizing. In fact, maybe some of it is at least somewhat justified. And that's basically been, to me, you know, the worst-case scenario has been the New Orleans Pelicans for at least the last decade. After CP3 left to go to, tried to go to the Lakers, that got nullified, then he went to the Clippers as with the Phoenix Suns, and has a chance to contend for an NBA title, they have to get past the Clippers, who we'll talk about probably later on in the hour. But I'll say this. I'm starting to change my tone, at least somewhat. Because I was thinking, you know, they're going to start planning to move the franchise, because that's how it just always feels like. It feels like this team is always on the precipice of getting out of New Orleans for one reason or another, be it Anthony Davis, be it, you know... The Pelicans going through their third coach in three seasons. Yes, three coaches in three years. That's insane. And the rumors started to at least pop up late this late this week. And this is coming from John Hollinger of The Athletic saying, quote, with the only team committed to its lease in the Big Easy through 2024, sources consistently mention New Orleans as the most likely team to seek relocation in the coming decade. I agree with this statement at least somewhat, and it's already the bleep storm about the future of this franchise. And I'll throw this out. I don't see this happening in the next decade. Maybe a little bit past that point. Because I'm almost certain that if this weren't a Gail Benson-owned property, that franchise would be in the first train out to Las Vegas, Seattle, wherever. I saw people bring up Kansas City, but that's a hard sell for me because of the fact that the Pelican, Kansas City Kings haven't been around since the mid-80s. There was a reason why I think the New Orleans market really wanted it when it came back back in the not back in the early 2000s because of the fact that the Jazz went away in the early 90s went from New Orleans over to Utah. And I don't know why they still call them the Jazz. But that's a different conversation for a different day. But you think about it, the last few years of this franchise, let alone the last 12 months, have been tumultuous, to say the least. And this may be the toughest waters yet for this franchise to deal with because it's been a mess from start to finish. Think about this. In the last 12 months, you went from being allowed to be participating in the NBA bubble. You got allowed into the NBA bubble because at the end of the day, the league needed Zion Williamson to be involved in that play-in tournament for the ratings draw. Yes, there was like really not a lot of doubt surrounding his future and whether or not they would get to that point. They did, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Then they have all this stuff. They fell short of the mark that many wanted them to hit. They fire Alvin Gentry, felt like it was time, at least in my opinion, because Alvin Gentry was always the square peg round hole guy. He always wanted to have this team be Golden State Warriors light whenever they weren't the Golden State Warriors light. They fire him, 
after they leave the bubble. Owed up a coaching search that lasts the better part of almost four months. And who did they land on? Stan Van Gundy. They hired him in October. Stan Van Gundy, a 61-year-old head coach, leading a team that pretty much was outside of J.J. Redick, Eric Bledsoe, maybe a couple others, 20-somethings. We hear about the age gap all the time, and it's a, there's a generational gap because some of those kids in their 20-somethings, they may have been a little bit more pampered, namely guys like Alonzo Ball or a B.I. or even somebody like Zion Williamson. We'll talk about that in a, probably a little bit later on the show. But then in the end of the, then in the offseason, you trade away one of your key cocks to the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's Drew Holiday. An absolute phenomenal player, probably one of the best Pelicans players, hands down, out like all around, outside of I'd say probably CP3. And Drew was without a doubt probably one of my favorite Pelicans players of all time. And a big reason why is because he just absolutely knows how to handle his business. Now you don't have him. You wind up getting old man Eric Bledsoe, and then you also wind up making a move to get a big in Steven Adams, which may have been a decent pickoff, I believe. But it still wasn't necessarily the best decision in the world to hire SVG for this franchise. And then the 72 season, 72 game season doesn't go right in any sense of the word. Yep. Zion Williamson wind up getting hurt towards the end of the season, injuring his ring finger. And he's done for the year. The Pelicans fall well short of the play-in tournament. And then, lo and behold, this Wednesday, you decide to fire Stan Van Gundy. Yes, fire the head coach after one year, eight months after you hired him. Not even eight months. Like, not even eight months. Not to the day, at least. But damn near eight months after you hired the guy, you fire him. And now Zion Williamson's family, I guarantee you, over the next 12, 24 months, however long it's going to be, they're going to be trying to pull some Jedi mind trick type stuff to get the star player to pull in Anthony Davis. And if they louse up this coaching hire, based off the track record of one David Griffin, which we'll talk about in a second, Zion's definitely going to want out. There's no doubt in my mind. He's He's only in the league. He's in the only league that can allow something like this to happen because that's how hashtag this league operates. It's about giving the star players what they want, not necessarily what the fans want. And it's always interesting to see that perspective pop up. I'm going to dump back to David Griffin right now. Because if I was in a similar position to him and I hired someone to a notable role... And I had to fire them, part ways, whatever you want to call it, after eight months. I'm almost certain my superior, my boss, namely, you know, Gail Benson in this sense, would be seriously questioning why I hired you in the first place if you can't get this hire right the first go-around. It's one thing if you, let's say, for instance, you hire somebody that's like the coffee guy, and it's a little bit of a screw-up. It's different than hiring somebody to be your head coach, being your department head. Let's go ahead and just put it that way. Let's say I work in a nine-to-five office space type job, and I had 
I was basically the EVP, and I was the one that basically was hiring and firing people in terms of public in terms of human resources. And after eight months, I hire an EVP that helps run a company. And after eight months, I've got to fire him because he's not living up to our expectations, to our culture, if you will. I guarantee my boss might be looking at me and will be telling me to get ready to update my resume because I might be out the door before too long. Because that's how the real world is. David Griffin is getting another chance, but I guarantee you, a lot like George W. Bush, the former president of the United States, once said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I won't get fooled again. Gail Benson better get the wool out of her eyes and realize that David Griffin could be very much the Jack Easterby of this franchise and being the invisible hand that leads this team down a not-so-primrose path and know that the future of this franchise needs to be focused on the future and keeping Zion Williamson one in New Orleans, which feels like it's going to be a Herculean task in and of itself. But I think more importantly, it's getting this team a competent head coach in the not-too-distant future. That's at least how I see it. If you got some takes on it, 337-706-0111. Rolling on till 11 o'clock. And I've got two hours, no guests. We're keeping this thing a little free and easy. So I'm looking forward to that. You can call us up, 337-706-0111. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. considered world famous but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us just don't talk to him while he's eating lay off me I'm starving now back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game Acadiana's Sports Station welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game Game.com. of course we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios if you want to call us up, we got plenty of time, or we, it's just me inside the first South Farm Credit Studios. You can call me up right now, 337-706-0111, And let me say this. Last night, I was able to go enjoy some great baseball on a Friday night. And I, I hadn't, like, the last time we went to see the Cane Cutters was, like, right in the middle of the pandemic. It was obviously a lot more different last night with the Cane Cutters. I want to go see them play last night against the Amarillo Sod Squad, which is an interesting name. First off, it sounds like a team name that may be like little league level sponsor. Like I'm sure there's uh, there'd be a place somewhere that was called the Sod Squad. Like I, at one point or another, it just feels like that name would work really well in that kind of business. But I was like, I just sat there, I was in, I was like, okay, this is an interesting team name. I want to get in there a little bit later, so I got there about bottom, I got there bottom of the third. I didn't really get into the game until about the top of the fourth, and I gotta say, I was glad I got in when I did, because I got an opportunity to see Chipper Bernard, Cajuns freshman out of New Iberia Senior High. He had a fantastic performance last night. 
He was pitching in relief. He wound up going six innings, 12 strikeouts. Only allowed like one earned run. It was two runs total. And the Cane Cutters came away with a 6-4 to four win. I'll talk about some more takeaways I have from the Cane Cutters in a moment. But now we go over to the 103.7 game hotline. Hello, you're on Under the, Under the Dome. Hey, you talked earlier about having a great weekend, and I don't know if people realize, but there's actually a women's tackle football game tonight in Lafayette. Oh, really? Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if it's a semi-pro team or what, but it's uh, Zotico women's tackle football team. You can probably look it up on Facebook or Instagram, but they play at Lafayette Christian Academy at 7 p.m., um, I believe tickets are 10 bucks. You can pay at the gate. And um, just wanted to put that out there for anyone who's looking for some fun sports-related stuff to do this weekend. That sounds really cool. I'm not going to lie. And I'm seeing this. This is actually their last game, their final 2021 regular season game, the Acadiana Zotico women's tackle football team, Spice versus Power. I was like, okay, that's that's kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. And in fact, that's a, not too far from where I live, so I might, I might, might make the trek over there. Yeah, I think I'm going to check it out too, man. First time for everything, right? Yeah, oh, hell yeah, man. It definitely, I appreciate the call, man. All righty, man. Bye-bye. All right, so we've got some more people calling in. Let me go ahead and just put this button back on, and then we get this person on the 103.7 The Game Hotline. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, how you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How about uh, you, man? I'm doing good too. Uh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. What's up? Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, look, I about the, the situation with the Pelicans. I think the Pelicans had a really good coach back a few years ago named Monty Ball that they got Monty Williams when they went. Uh, wait, Mon, yeah, Monty uh, Monty Williams. I'm sorry uh, that they got rid of after they had gone to the playoffs for the first time in a while and. You know, I think he, in, I don't know. Is he in Oklahoma City or wherever? He's with he's with he's, with, he's with the Phoenix Suns right now. They're they're in the conference finals right now. In CP3, if he's able to get out of COVID jail sooner rather than later, he'll be back on that team. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, you had a good coach back then, and they got rid of him. And it's you know, I mean, I, even though uh, what uh, the, you know uh, they did make a little run in the playoffs back in 2018. I think uh, Monty Williams was a, was a very good fit, and I don't understand why they ever got rid of him at the time. I'll, ex- you know? I'll explain but, why they did that, because that was more of an Anthony Davis thing. Because you got to realize, Anthony Davis had a lot of clout with this franchise. Obviously, he's the number one pick and going to do what, what he wants to do. So I'm almost certain, I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like there's some truth in this statement, that when they did fire Monty Williams, they had a conversation with, Anthony Davis after he got swept by the Golden State Warriors. And they said, oh, hey, yeah. it's time to make a decision for your future. Do you want to stick around, stick with Monty Williams, or do you want to move forward with another head coach? Because I think it is it is time to kind of make these make this decision. Because you just got swept by the Golden State Warriors who wound up winning the NBA championship. And he said, "I." and apparently he probably wanted to see Anthony Davis, excuse me, Monty Williams go the way of the Dodo Bird, go somewhere else. And it, it was, I feel like at the end of the day, Monty Williams probably would have worked better in the long term, but you would have had to give up, give up Anthony Davis and you wouldn't have had a, a Zion Williamson-esque player to help fill a role that you desperately needed. It would have been very much tough sledding for a bit because Anthony Davis would have wanted out sooner in my mind. 
Well, that makes sense, you know, but that's the problem with the NBA. I think these players sometimes are running the league and running the uh, franchises and stuff, and I think that in the end uh, that's not good because I I, I think you need a strong head coach and any, I don't care how much talent you have or whatever, I think you still need a strong head coach. And I think the players secretly want that, too. They don't want to have to have the burden of doing that. But that that's the thing that's going to hurt the, continue to hurt the NBA. And, you know, though they have their group of fans until they can get a handle on that. Hey, what's your name, man? Mo, my name's Charlie. I'm sorry. No, it's all okay. good. I'm the Bayou Bengal up for the professor and everything, but I forgot to mention no, my name. And it's all good, Charlie. Don't be a stranger, man. I appreciate the take. I appreciate the call, my man. No, I, I enjoy listening to you. I mean, you know, uh, you know, uh, you seem like you know what you're talking about and everything. And uh, I may check out that women's tackle football too. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm interested. It's like again, it's not too far from from my house, so I'm like, I might yeah, just go you know, do that. I heard that they can, that, you know, it, it's legal to pull hair in that league. Hey. I mean, what is this, the WWF? I don't know. <laughs> I, it, it, look, who knows, you know, maybe, maybe they can pull the hair, you know, that, that, that's not off limits in that, you know, on I that. mean, the NFL, so, you, the NFL you can, right? Because I remember back in the day you had guys like Mike McKenzie, and every time you saw him, it's like you're surprised that people like weren't just pulling his hair down when he they took him down every time because I don't think at the time it wasn't penalized back in like the 2000s. And 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 be honest with you, it's not a penalty either because you've yeah. got to grab the back of the jersey. So it's, yeah, it, you got to read the rule book. I mean, you got to have buckle the knees, and the hair is a different yep. thing. You know exactly. So, who, who knows? I, I don't know. I, you know, look, look. Women, uh, women getting after it on the football field. What more can you ask for on a weekend in June? Exactly. You know, it's 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 something. But you know, I appreciate again, Charlie. I appreciate the call, man. But I'll say this: what I saw last night from the cane cutters was pretty good. I I've been to maybe like a handful of cane cutters games, and this one I went to more to go cover it. Wrote up a recap up on one hundred three seven thegame dot com if you want to go check it out. And I, I enjoyed what I saw. There were a couple things where I was just like, there were, there were some head-scratching decisions that I noticed from the coaching staff. More base running. That was the biggest issue that I noticed. Because they had a point. It was in the bottom of the fourth inning. They started to kind of get a rally going. Wait, was it the bottom of the fourth? I don't, I don't remember anymore. But it was, tw- it was towards the middle of the ball game. And they have a situation where they have runners on first and second. And dude hits a, it's a really nice double towards left field. For some reason, the guy that was coming out, coming from first was told to keep going and try and leg this thing out to get a run to tie it up. When you could have had a double runners on second and third, a chance to have the tying run 90 feet away, that would have been the better idea. And it was just seeing him a little too aggressive on the base path. That was my biggest thing that I noticed on the offensive side. They looked pretty decent for the most part. Then they wound up getting a really big seventh inning to rally down the stretch. But again, Chipper Bernard, the niche product, holla to him, man. He put together a really good performance, 12 strikeouts. And right when I saw, I was like, I immediately was texting RP3 like throughout the night, like, hey, you know, this thing's going on with this game. I gave him some of my early just takeaways. I even did, I didn't even write them down my notes. I just vividly remember some of the stuff that happened last night at Fobacher Field. And man, I, I, again, it's great to be there and see a lot of people in the house. And he was in fuego 
12 strikeouts. That was immediately, it's like, okay, this is a guy I want to see really take this opportunity and rise. Because 2022 isn't too far away for these guys. And I think Chipper has every chance to probably be your number four guy. Or, or I'd say probably he has, a, he has every chance to be maybe number three. It's about how kind of some things go with this coming offseason. Obviously, you have TC, you have the TCU transfer, Spencer Arigetti. I think he'll be gone. I think he is because he only had, I think he had only one year for the transfer rule. And then like a lot of other guys, I think there's no doubt in my mind you're going to wind up having. Then you obviously are going to work more with recruiting. Maybe get a transfer portal pitcher. If you can find somebody like Arigetti again and Lightning does strike twice with Mad Degs and crew, B.J. Ryan's going to have himself a pretty solid group. But Chipper has been a guy. I, I noticed some, it was like up and down a little bit in the Sun Belt, but I think this is going to be a confidence booster. And this, again, this is another opportunity for him to excel and grow and get better. Him going six innings, I was surprised at that because it felt like you know this is going to be more of a bridge guy, get you to the seventh inning, and he goes four at most five innings. But he went six, and it made sense because at the end of the day, you always go with your hot hand, and he was the hottest hand out there bar none. And if you're not going to go to women's tackle football, you need to go out to Fobacher Field tonight, go see the King Cutters take on the Amarillo Sod Squad, which, by the way, it's a great name, but it's not as great as some of the other names that I've been able to hear as of late, including the Flying Chonclas, which may be a top-tier just baseball team name. I want to go. I'm going to pull up the Texas Collegiate League names, and I might rank them in the next segment because they have some really good ones. I don't think I'm just doing it just for fun because I was at a, was at a Texas Collegiate League game last night. I'm almost certain a lot of those are really good. And if you got some takes on that or anything else, we got the lines open, 337-706-0111. we got more under the, under the Dome with CD coming up next right here on 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break up. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. And we're going to break it all down for you right now. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7 thegamecom Of course, we're coming to you live from the First South Farm Credit Studios. And appreciate you listening in. Hopefully you're having a... Good to great Saturday. And after all, it is Father's Day weekend. Hopefully you are having a fantastic Father's Day weekend. I know one person that's having a fantastic weekend. That's one of our recent winners for the Astros weekend getaway to go see the Astros take on the White Sox. That's going to be tonight's game, by the way. The Astros took taking two out of four so far. And you'll hear the action right here at 103.7 The Game. But more importantly, if you want to go to the next Astros weekend getaway right before the All-Star break, you got an opportunity to do so. All you got to do is sign up today in the 1037 The Game Clubhouse for a chance to score four tickets and a $200 Visa gift card for Houston's home game against the New York Yankees on Saturday, July 10th. So be sure to enter to win at 1037thegame.com. The Astros Weekend Getaways, as always, are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning. 
J&J exterminating and 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's number one sports station. I'm absolutely, like, I'd love to go to that game. It's the Astros, Yankees, right before the All-Star break. Hell yeah. And you better imagine how much cooler it would be if that's the game that Garrett Cole will be starting in. Because you can about imagine there's going to be some boo birds flying for Garrett Cole. The fact he left the Astros to go to the Empire and has completely been god-awful and the whole spider attack thing, all that stuff. People will be just, there'll be boo birds abound over there. But I want to talk about something else. And I'll start it in the break. I wanted to look up to see the current teams that are on the list of like TCL, the Texas Collegiate League teams. Because there's a lot in the past that they've had, like some of the highlights, I think, that absolutely I like. The Wichita Falls, Roughnecks, that's a really solid one. The East Texas Pumpjacks, I remember them a few years ago. They were good. You had the Amarillo Sod Squad, and which wasn't. And minor late team, but it was dissolved following the 2020 season. So now it's over in, obviously, the Texas Collegiate League, the Amarillo Sod Squad, the Sod Dogs, they called them before. The Weatherford Wranglers, I love alliteration, so that would get some points there. The Duncanville Deputies, which Duncanville is out, out is a little bit more in that like nor, almost northeast Texas range. The Denton Outlaws. Always a really solid name. But I'm looking at just the current teams itself. And it's pretty easy to kind of go up and down and sideways on these things. Because there's only six teams. So I'm going to go 6-1. to Number six, I think it's got to be the Victoria Generals. It's a just eh name. How many teams have you heard over the years? We call the Generals. We've got the Washington Generals. They always lose to the Harlem Globetrotters. So it just doesn't hit a certain way. So it's it's number six. It's It's a relatively eh name. Number five, I'll give it to the Brazos Valley Bombers. Again, it's a name that just it makes sense for them. They're one of the the elder statesmen of this league. In fact, they started the whole thing in 2007. They were one of the first teams to be involved in. In fact, I believe the owner actually, yeah, is owns the league. Is the league's president, excuse me. The Yuri Geva, he's the owner of the Brazos Valley Bombers. And again, fantastic name. It has a little bit of the alliteration. So it's gonna get it's gonna get number five though for me because of the fact that it bombers it just it feels like it would be a samey type of team and I have the fact they're in College Station so it, it gets a little bit of a docking there for me. Number four, I'll go with Sod Squad. It's a it's a solid name. Don't get me wrong. It's the fact that it just sounds like a minor, like some little league team that was sponsored. Like like remember Bad News Bears? You had the Bail Bonds sponsor. The, t- the team, I it's that still makes me laugh, but it makes me think of that, and that's why it's always it's gonna be like right in the middle of this. Number three though, I gotta go with the cane cutters, and it's not a knock against the name itself. It's a really solid one, and I think it's out of all the Louisiana like semi pro collegiate league, whatever you want to call it, teams we've had over the years. I'm talking about the Ice Gators. Swamp Cats, Bullfrogs. I mean, those are the ones. The, the we talked about yesterday on a bumper to bumper sports. The, the Lafayette Roughnecks. Those teams had some solid. I mean, Roughnecks was 
it, again, they all make sense in terms of the region. But King Cutters, that was a cool one. When it launched back in the day, and it works even better now. So I got to go with the Acadiana King Cutters. That one's number three on my list, but it's more because of the fact that two and one are really freaking good. The Baton Rouge Rougarou is number two. It's so damn good. And number one is obviously going to be San Antonio, the Flying Chanclas, which that alone, I'm like, hell yeah. I, I love that kind of stuff. It's, it's that, yes, it's very much the baby cakes type of vibe. If you remember back a few years ago before they went away and they renamed Zephyr Field to the Shrine on Airline and they had the baby cakes. It's very gimmicky. It's very hokey. But at the end of the day, it's summer ball. It's minor, it's Texas Collegiate League. It's, not minor league baseball, it's not quite that, but it still has some really good stuff. I mean, it's almost like the Blue Wahoos of Pensacola. Like Those kind of names just pop for you because they're different and they're unique. And a chocolate, if you, you don't know, that's actually a flip-flop. And like if you know what chanclas, uh, what they use them for, basically, I mean, they're slides, essentially. And some people over, I mean, in Mexico, like their mothers will use it to just smack the living. You know what? I do. That's basically their belt, if you will. Let's go. Let's, let's put it that way. In the Mexican community, that is definitely a belt for a lot of them. And for what I've heard, that thing hurts like a you know what. But it makes me laugh every time I see it. And the fact that they actually get like they actually have a capacity of ninety two hundred at their stadium, so you can say that they get very well have the most the best attendance out of all these. But I enjoyed seeing the entire Cane Cutters experience last night. And uh, oh, I'll throw in this team from last year. They didn't. They didn't come back because they were part. They were shut down because of the COVID pandemic, and they were minor league teams. But the Frisco Rough Riders that was a that was a fun name. The Round Rock Harry Men probably, if it was still a TCL team, would be number two. Because again, it's so unique, and you can about imagine the mascot would probably be almost a mixture of Captain Caveman and Cousin It from the Adams Family. And I, I just when I saw that, I was like, "What the hell's going on?" But I'm interested to see how things go the rest of the year for the Texas Collegiate League and the Acadiana King Cutters as they get out of the entire like COVID nineteen pandemic, and we can see more and more attendance. And the attendance was like. Pretty good, considering it's a Friday night, Father's Day weekend. Maybe not everybody was going to go see them play the Sod Squad after a... It was a slugfest on Thursday night against the Brazos Valley Bombers, who were number five on my list. I think that that was probably one of the more fun games I've seen. It was highly entertaining. And the Cajuns did... The King Cutters, excuse me, came away with the win. And one Cajuns product, a New Iberia kid, he shined in... I gotta say, I was impressed by Chipper Menard. That's somebody who I'm looking forward to seeing. One person I'm not looking forward to seeing, though, is Keith Gill. And he actually talked about the college football playoff expansion, the rumors, and the innuendo. And I'm gonna talk about that right now, because I got some time. And I've also got some other stuff that I'm gonna talk about to end the hour more on the NBA front. But he said, quote, last night, he dropped a, all of a sudden he just decided to drop a statement it was two sentences, mainly. It was like one graph. And if you want to react to this, 337-706-0111. He said, quote, 
The Sunbelt Conference supports college football playoff expansion. Makes sense. Including the working group's recommendation to have the six highest ranked conference champions in the field. I'm in that same boat. He goes on to say, playoff spots should be earned, not given. Under the proposed system, if you are a deserving team, you should have no concerns of being left out of the playoff. I look forward to continuing this conversation next week with the CFP Board of Managers. Here's the thing with that. Everything he said was the right thing to say if you're the Sunbelt Conference Commissioner. Is this going to happen? Are you going to see the six highest-ranked conference champions in the field? No. And I'll tell you exactly why. Because of the fact that they're going to do some, they're going to do one of those other alternative plans. I would not be surprised if they go more along the lines of, let's go ahead and put the, all the power five teams in immediately. You just throw those in. Boom. All power five champions, you're in. Because that's what's going to draw money. The Pac-12 is going to get a team in, and the Pac-12 is going to get their champion in. Because that was that's probably one of the biggest reasons why they're bringing this in, because outside of the first year of the playoff, Pac-12 has done diddly-poo, to quote Jim Mora, with this whole thing. They have not done a damn thing in the college football playoff. Outside of beating Jameis Winston in the first pl- college football playoff and making him look like a jabron in the, on the biggest stage, I believe that was New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, one of those two. See, that was like six, seven years ago when that happened. So for me, there's no doubt in my mind that you got to think that the Summer Conference would love for it to be the way the reports are, where you have the six highest-ranked conference champions involved in the field because that would benefit a team like the Cajuns, like a Coastal Carolina, or even a program like an App State some years. That would benefit them a lot. But here's the thing. The six highest-ranked conference champions in the field, that could also change how people rank, how the rankings do turn out. Because I think they'll wind up just going with the top 12. And they'll very much skew it more towards, like, Pac-12 could very well be getting ranked higher, even with a two-loss record, according to to the CFP committee because they don't want to have it be, oh, hey, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, and then the AAC and then the Sun Belt because that's not going to necessarily solve any of the issues that they have with the current construct of everything. I see that coming. I don't see six highest-ranked conference champions in the field. I would love it for the Cajuns because they would be guaranteed – they would be guaranteed pretty much a chance to host a a game for, in the college football playoff. Think about how cool that would be. I guarantee, I'll say this. We keep talking about attendance, and maybe we'll talk about that more in hour number two if you want to, because here's the thing. If you call in and want to talk about attendance, and you want to talk about Cajun Field at Our Lady of Lords Stadium, all that stuff, we got time for it, 337-706-0111. But if you can't draw attendance and a sold-out house for a Cajuns college football playoff game at Cajun Field at Our Lady of Lords Stadium that I don't ever want to hear about attendance issues again. Because it'll be clear and evident 
then people just don't necessarily care as much. They care more about the big dog of LSU versus the Cajuns, who have definitely had a lot more bark to them over the last couple of years. The fact they've gotten two straight 10-win seasons. And yes, I know last year was in a pandemic. It's a little bit of a different ball game. It's a little bit of a different world. You're having to deal with, you know, one JBE making things a little bit difficult for a lot of programs to have full attendance. They wound up doing that after the season's wrapped up, once we got closer to the end of baseball season. Now we're now we're out of that. 100% attendance, let's get 100% or close to it into Cajun Field this year. That's all I'm going to say on that front. We're going to take a quick timeout. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. to the 20 by 20 squared circle and everywhere in between the world famous cd isn't afraid of tackling any topic just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends finish him just bring it let's get back to under the dome Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Getting a text from TV's Dylan. And by the way, Dylan, I'll say this. I did not plan this at all in terms of like you texting me. We were going going back and forth in the break about something. And all I, I already planned on playing Cactus Jack. Then I get a text from you. It's Cactus Jack Daddy. I'm definitely loving it right now. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Wrapping up the show, or it's just say the hour. I've got another hour left, Clint. Come on, get it together we got a whole other hour left, and who knows what I'll get into over the next hour or so. But I want to say this. Last night, I was able to catch the like second half or so of the Clippers game against the, against the Jazz. That was an amazing end to a series. And for once in my life, I was able to see the LA Clippers make it to the conference finals. Because, let's be honest, it's been a while since we've seen that, and more importantly, the fact that Doc Rivers absolutely has underwhelmed, had underwhelmed previously. Now Ty Lu is taking over, and Ty Lu works well when he has mega stars like Kawhi Leonard. But Kawhi Leonard, obviously, he's probably out for the rest of the playoffs. But that team looks so much better without him to a certain extent. Because you had guys like PG-13. He put up 28-9, but the biggest godsend was Terrence Mann, who I'm going to call the man, Terrence the man now. Because he is absolutely... Like, has the swagger unlike any other after last night. 39 points in 36 minutes. Nothing short of impressive from him. A guy that really hadn't done much. Terrence the man. I'm calling him that then, now, forever. The 24-year-old out of Brooklyn absolutely put together a great performance for the L.A. Clippers, helping them advance into the NBA Western Conference Finals to be taking on the Phoenix Suns whenever they open up their series, and I'm looking forward to seeing that one. We'll talk about probably a little bit later the fact that the Sixers forced Game 7. Because that felt like it was a series that was dead in the water, and you were going to see the franchise, excuse me, the Sixers fall again. Because that's what Doc Rivers does. All he does is seemingly choke away games every single time I turn around. But that wasn't the case last night. I'll talk more about that later. 
And if you want to get in on the conversation about, you know, the Pelicans head coaching search, LSU baseball, their coaching search, I'll talk about that to open up hour number two. Before we take that quick timeout, though, let me tell you something. We got some cool stuff going on with everywhere here at Delta Media, including KDCG TV. Because live music, it is officially back. If we're, we did a who's back of the week, like part of my take, I guarantee you this would be who's back of the week. Live music. It's back better than ever, including the Lembanto Relay music TV show on KDCG TV. The next live tape is going to be this coming Thursday, June 24th at Pomp Bros Cajun Restaurant featuring Troy Lejean and Cajun Review. It's a free event, so you don't have to worry about paying any cover charge or nothing. You can just go over, enjoy yourself, have a good time, and pass a great time at Pomp Bros Cajun Restaurant here in Troy Lejean and Cajun Review. The show's going to be starting at 7 o'clock. And if you want more info about how to watch it, go to kdcg.com. We'll be back after this hour one in the books, hour two coming up next. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And good morning, everybody. Welcome back under the dome with CD, our number two of two. And of course... We're still coming to you live and in not living color, but I don't know how you would put it is with radio wise, but we're coming to you crystal clear live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hear this worldwide. And you can certainly hear it worldwide with our free mobile app, the dot com smart speakers. But if you're out in the Acadian area, I can guarantee you it's coming in crystal clear a lot more than some other station. On that tower of power, too sweet to be sour. That FM dial. He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And I got to say, I am loving this Saturday. Getting a lot of texts, getting a lot of calls. We're having, we're having ourselves a good time here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. And if you want to get in on the fun, hit us up. 337-706-0111. It is just that simple. Make sure you get in on the conversation because we got a lot to get to over the next hour or so. And we're going to start off more on the LSU coaching search because it's got pretty much deathly quiet. And I think that's a good thing to a certain extent, but at the same time, you're hoping you get to start hearing more. And the question I have is smoke coming soon. And I'm not talking about Smoke Laval. Get that out your mind, first of all, because that's not going to happen. That'd be absolutely insane. And I think Scott Woodward would need to be put in a, me- in a mental institution for being able to like try and pull that one off. Because it's not going to happen. That'd be, that'd be insane. I think that'd be considered criminally insane to be able to bring Smoke Laval out of retirement 
Oh, excuse me. He's still coaching. He's with the North Florida Ospreys. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize he was still coaching. Thought maybe he would have retired after all that. But no, he's still coaching. Oh, no, he, he He's no longer coaching there. He, he got fired after 2017. So he's no longer coaching. He hasn't coached in four years. That would be insane. It's coming from a guy that's like, I think Smoke Laval definitely doesn't get nearly as much love as he should. And the Hold the Rope documentary kind of speaks to that. Because it felt like there was a lot of revisionist history. And that's documentaries for the most part. If you ever wind up watching like any documentary, especially, I'd say, documentaries created and produced by the WWE. And by the way, I talk about that a lot on the Cajun's Drama Style podcast. about Not as much about the revisionist history, but it's something that's apparent. Is that when you watch documentaries, sometimes there is issues in terms of history and maybe forgetting or scrubbing the history entirely of some of the like bona fide facts. And that was something that I noticed with the documentary, where it's pretty much you went from Skip Bertman to Paul Maneri. It was never Skip to Smoke. It was Skip to Smoke and then Paul. Obviously, Smoke and Skip had a, let's just say, tenuous relationship at best. But that was something that I absolutely noticed in the middle of all this is that there was some some revisionist history going on with that. And again, that's that's the fact that you've also got the four-letter network and the SEC network behind it, and you want to be able to paint people in a certain light. It makes sense. But I really wasn't a fan of the fact that there was very much little to no mention of smoke and people just kind of people kind of downplay what he did for that program. He led him to a couple College World Series when it was all said and done. And yes, it was still, you know, Skip's team to a certain extent, but he still got him there. And then it's, next thing you know, Paul Maneri takes over in 07, and he's able to bring this team back towards Mountaintop in two years and almost wins them a second one. And everybody kind of starts to rag on him because he's not winning enough. He's not doing enough. The guy's doing all he can. Now it's trying to find who's going to be the next head coach, and hopefully we find out something sooner rather than later. And I'm certain, I'm more certain now than maybe what I was in like two weeks, because it's been three weeks since the announcement and then the retirement speech and all that stuff. It's been three weeks, so I think it's time to kind of think about it. Why haven't we heard anything yet? What makes me think, and I think there will be smoke coming soon. I, I'll I'll go out on a limb and just say this. I've been known to be clairvoyant in the past, and I'm 99% certain I can be clairvoyant again. I'll, I'll drop this hot take right now. By this time next Friday, next Friday, you will hear who the next head coach is going to be. Why am I saying next Friday? I'm giving myself some plenty of time, plenty of room. But by the time I'm on the air next Saturday at 9 a.m., I'm going to be talking about the next head coach at LSU. And why am I saying that? Because another key cog in LSU's coaching staff is no longer with them. Nolan Kane, if you missed the show yesterday, and I know we probably I know the professor probably talked about this too, is the fact that now Nolan Kane is the next man out. He does egos join the dreaded, I'm not going to call them Evil Empire, because they're not, and that's Texas A&M. We here, 
I'm definitely an anti-Texas A&M house. And that's ironic because I have a cousin who went to Texas A&M, but that's because he lives out in Houston, and, you know, that's where he went, is what it is. I'm not going to hate him for that. That said, I am going to definitely say I'm anti-Texas. This is anti-Texas A&M house, essentially. And I'm not a huge fan of the entire story. And it's just like him going over there, it speaks to me that he is going to help this team start recruiting better. And with the new head coach there and Jim Schlossnagel, I guarantee you that thing, I mean, that program is going to be on the rise the next two to three years. Now you're having to fight and pretty much battle to win these recruiting wars because the recruiting wars are going to be a lot more full force. At least the way that I'm just observing everything for this program. And I'm just looking forward to seeing how it all kind of turns out for the purple and gold. And for me, I'm, again, starting to turn around on the idea. I'm starting to turn around on the idea of being a, of it being Mike Bianco. I'm starting to turn around at least somewhat. Now, what happens next? is anybody's guess, to be honest with you. I feel like it's going to be a very much, like, it's it's needed to happen for a good while. It absolutely has needed to happen for a long while, in my mind, because there's something about what's going on with this LSU program where you need to find that right guy. And I think Mike Bianco is that right guy because of what's going on with this program. And I talked about it a lot yesterday, and if you miss it, I'll give you kind of the Cliff Notes version of this. Is the this program for years has been very much pro I mean, we've definitely seen this program be very much good old boys network, at least somewhat, in the baseball front. And I think the baseball realm is entirely different than any other spectrum of sports. And for me, it's, I'm still blown away by this, is that you've got Skip Berman and Paul Maneer are 100% going to have a say in who the next head coach is going to be at LSU. This isn't where you've got the boosters, TAF, having a large role into it. It's going to be two guys that have a relationship with this program. I'd be flabbergasted. Dare I say gobsmacked if we see LSU go with another coach. Because I think the fact that this is a Skip Burtman guy, that statement alone makes me more certain than anything else that he's going to be the future head coach. Does that mean it's going to be? Not necessarily. But it feels... And that's the thing. It's all about a feel in some of these things. And I I feel strongly that it's going to be him. Now, when it comes to Drew, I think he's going to transfer. Because again, it's all unless Mike says, Hey, you know, I'm going to coach you for one year, you already know everything you need to know. I'm not really going to be coaching you up. You'll just be on the team and I'll be coaching. 
I don't have to worry about this. I'm like, okay, this was, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, if he is there, what happens with Drew? I am definitely more in the camp that he is going to transfer because of the fact that it's still going to be following what his dad has wanted and never to coach any of his kids. I don't think he has any younger kids. So I think this might be the last go round to where he follows this rule. And it's again, I've talked about this before. It's not a knock on Drew. It's just the fact of how he wants to raise his children. We should definitely treat that with a modicum of respect. And I feel like I'm looking forward to seeing how it's all going to turn out. I, I can't see anybody else taking over that role. I'm glad some of the Jeff Willis talk has slowed down at least somewhat here on 1037 the game. In fact, when I pulled up the tweet, or should I say the Twitter polls for today, Cliff Godwin, Brian O'Connor, Mike Bianco, none of the above was the fourth option. I like that a lot because I felt like Jeff Willis was a like absolutely absurd like pipe dream. Same thing with like I'd say a, a Blake Dean from UNO. That would have been more of a Joe Oliva esque hire, like I've talked about in the past. Let's go out to the one three seven game hotline. Hello, you're on under the dome. Yeah, I had talked a little bit earlier in the first hour. Now you think of calling back? Hey, what's uh, up? Yeah, I did. You know, uh, I don't want to dominate your show or anything like that, but uh, I think uh, I, I'm going to have to slightly disagree with you about a couple of things, though. Mike Bianco very well could end up being the next coach, but. I think this deal would have been done by now uh, if he definitely was going to be the next coach. And though Skip Bertman is going to have some input and Paul Maneri, the decision is going to be made by Scott Wood because, I mean, you know, they're not going to, uh, you know, this is who you think, like he's going to dictate. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. I think that uh, LSU hired Scott Woodward for a reason. Uh, he's, you know, but he might, Mike Bianco may end up being the next coach, and I think he'd probably do a good job. But I think, I think you're looking at a lot of possible different people, and I think Scott Woodward's MO is a disciple of Mark Emmerich, and he pulled Nick Saban at, you know, an ultimate dodge back in 1999 uh, to, to get there. So, I, you know, I think we're in, under old circumstances, under Joe Lieber, maybe so. I mean, in my history, I follow a lot of LSU, and, this is kind of what I want to know, but I think he's he's got a he's got a rock and a hard place a little bit because July first is the day where people where players can decide whether they want to transfer or not, yep. and that's the big deal where you need to learn take get a head coach name, but you also want to look at not just this year. You need to look at the long term uh, possibilities of the program, and I think he's I think all all coaches in college baseball are on the table with him. They may not say yes, but he's going to make a run at each of them. So I think this thing is far from over. Uh, you know, I do appreciate what you're saying. You you made some very good points about uh, LSU fans not appreciating what Paul Maneri did through the years. Uh, and also, Skip Bertman has made some good hires. Paul Maneri was a good hire, and he's, he's making, uh, you know, uh, and if you remember Smoke Laval, uh, he yep. first wanted Jim Wells to be the head coach at LSU for replacement, and he was not even the AD at the time, his recommendation, but Jim Wells wouldn't agree to certain things, so they went with uh, Smoke. 
and and Skip didn't become the AD till two thousand and uh, till January twenty third two thousand one. Yeah, and Smoke was already hired on as an administrative assistant. Uh, but at, at the same time, LSU was going through. Skip was a a compromise candidate between I think Mitch Barnhart and Doug Morrow at the time. So there's a lot of and he actually didn't want to be the AD at the time, but but he Mark Emmert stepped up and got him to take that. So there's a lot of stuff that kind of goes on. Uh, and I think that one of the things that I can tell you, and I follow real closely, uh, I know a lot, but in this case, I don't know. And I think that we're, you're, you may be right about next Friday. Also depends on what happens to the teams in the college world series. He may have his, I, uh, he may have his eye on one of them, but the team needs to be, uh, uh, the team, the team needs needs to not be in the running anymore. So you know, there, uh, you know, look, he's going to go after anybody. He's even going to go after Tim Corbin. Tim Corbin doesn't get along with his AD. She's one of these woke ads, but that doesn't mean he's going to be there. But he's going to go after anybody and everybody. So you know, you need to stay tuned, and and you may end up being right next week. I'm not saying you won't be, but uh, I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. And I'll leave one thing for all LSU fans: if you think you're feeling bad this Saturday morning about not being in the College World Series, think how the Arkansas fans feel right now. Think about so, I mean, uh, think about how Ole Miss f- fans feel right now because you know, they had an, they had an, uh, like a really good chance of being able to beat Arizona, who seemingly is going to be a dark horse candidate according to some to win the whole thing. Yeah, but but the Arkansas fans really have to feel oh, yeah. really sick right now. I mean, they, in 2018, they dropped a pop fly that have won the World Series, won it, and then this year they look like they were odds on favor to win. So that's the beauty of baseball, you know. It's not like football. You can go into some place in North Carolina State and pull off an upset. It's exactly. harder to go into Tuscaloosa or at Death Valley and Clemson or – are uh, at the horseshoe and do the same thing. So, you know, and, and in 2019 in Tiger Stadium. So, you know, so, you know, yep. look, take it as a great assault. Uh, I think you have a great program. You cover all kinds of things. I've really enjoyed listening to you this morning, and I will start listening to you more often. I think you, you, uh, you, you really cover a wide array of things, and I think you know yourself. Hell yeah. Again, I, I appreciate it, man. Don't, don't be a stranger, brother. All right, that was awesome. Just hearing somebody actually, again, it's always nice to be put over a little bit. I, I do get put over a lot behind the scenes. But knowing people that are listening that love the show, I get that a lot. I'm not going to lie. I, I get I get that love the show type stuff all the time, and it's always a good thing. Because it, it really proves, one, people are listening, and two, people like the stuff and like the content. But that's what I do. I don't just want to cover, you know, the SOS, the same old stuff of like, oh, hey, let's talk about you know, specifically hyper local. I want the show to be as just different as possible. Again, I've I've, I've never mentioned this before. I want this show to be the complete opposite. Like when you have a show like First Cup, and I think the professor, with all due respect, does a really solid job covering very much hyper local, and he has guys some really great characters on this show. Namely, I mean, this we had Richard Chalmers, which you can check out right now. On 1037thegame.com, wherever you get your podcasts. I gotta say, I wanna try and make that show different. I wanna make this show very different. I can talk about the Cajuns till, I can probably talk about the Cajuns for about two hours a day, two hours a week, if not more. I just feel like I wanna get to a lot more topics. 
LSU, college football playoff, the NBA, the MLB to a certain extent. I haven't even talked about the Astros really taking two out of three, and they they're winning in different ways. They've been on a roll. If only the Oakland A's would get out of their damn way, I think things would be a lot better. But that's a different conversation for a different day. But we are going to take a quick timeout because we're past due for a break. Again, appreciate you know Charlie for calling in on the program. You don't have to worry about any aliases. You can use your kayfabe name, use your government name, or come up with a different name. You can call us up either way, 337-706-0111. We got more Under the Dome with CD coming your way in just a little bit. famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. It's an all right, all right, all right Saturday afternoon. Call us up, 337-706-0111. If you want to get in on the action, definitely feeling pretty good after that intro. Just, I, the way, I, I don't know why, but Miserloo always is one of those songs. It, it's not necessarily the ultimate like pump-up song, but the second that intro starts, I'm like, I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. And mind you, it's all because of the fact that I love Pulp Fiction. Probably one of my favorite movies of all time. It, it's up there on my list. And I, I keep trying to like figure out and narrow down what my like list is. It, he's like, I saw this the other day. Somebody brought up like asked what their fa- what my favorite movie of all time was. Not me specifically, but asked the public, the people, the people what their favorite movie is. And I'd say Pulp Fiction is definitely a highly up there on the list. But for me, it's always going to be the mood. I think because I'm always just going day by day about what my favorite like some days I am very much in a mode where I'm wanting to enjoy certain albums, certain movies. Other days is different things. Like some days I'm just gonna want to enjoy a good old fashioned just dumpster fire of a movie. Like I want to. Like sometimes I'll just go ahead and enjoy like a Ford Fairlane or The Room or something like that. Other days I want to enjoy something that's a little bit more like different than that. Like I, let's say, like not long ago, and now that maybe football season's over, I'm probably excuse me, sports season in terms of college is over, I might actually start doing this again, is do like a, just Sunday nights, just start watching movies again and start watching maybe more and more stuff just to get an idea, just to kind of like expand my horizons but also enjoy some stuff that I haven't seen in a good while. Because I did this like a few, a couple months ago, just randomly because like nothing was really going on, felt like watching it. It was dazed and confused. And I've seen the movie so many times, but watching it again, I was like, this is such a damn good movie. And there's a lot of them I have just off top of like, hey, I, it's like this is must-watch type stuff. I'm definitely going to, like this is like the top of the list of things that I'm going to enjoy. It's just, you know, finding the time to do so is always interesting, especially amongst all the other stuff that I, I, I consume so much media, it's insane. I don't know how I have time to watch it all or see it all. Mainly I try to watch probably highlights of some things more often than not. When it comes right down to it. But I tell you what. 
I am abs- I absolutely loved last night seeing the 76ers pull out the win, forcing Game 7. First off, Joel Embiid is a beast. And even after, like, he had a moment in that game against the Hawks last night where he um, he basically was put on a poster and everybody was roast like he was roasted, toasted, and burnt to a crisp by everybody after John Collins, who only had seven points in the contest, dunked on him off an alley oop, and everybody could have like, considered him dead to rights at that point. But you've all you had Joel and B step up still with a double double twenty two and thirteen. But one of the other things, Tobias Harris and Seth Curry, thank God for them, because obviously Ben Simmons can't shoot to save his life. I guarantee you, Shaq may have been one of the worst free throw shooters historically, but I think Ben Simmons has got him beat. And that's, he's only a few years into his career, and he may be one of the worst free throw shooters of all time. Maybe one of the worst shooters of all time as well. He's been absolutely god-awful, especially as a number one pick. So much hype about him coming out of Montverde Academy over in Australia, which is a big reason why, out of Florida, coming from Australia. He was born in Melbourne. And he spent some time in Montverde Academy, which is a big reason why I'm not necessarily sure this whole, I the name escaped me right now, I heard of the two-minute drill. I think it was, I'm trying to remember who this, oh man, it's like, LSU basketball commit for 2022. Justice Williams, like the the last name escaped me. It was Justice something, but Justice Williams, he's coming from Montverde Academy. He's number three ranked guard in the 2022 recruiting class. The fact that you wound up getting somebody from Montverde Academy about like five years ago. Excuse me, that was like yeah, about five years ago. And he spent one year with the program and really didn't do anything. And then Johnny Jones the next year gets fired because the team just absolutely sucked. And he spends, it takes a year off. So say because of a foot injury. But he's been very much a mediocre shooter. And more importantly, his free throw shooting hasn't been great in this postseason. His postseason run, pa bomb. In fact, like the last few games, he just can't shoot worth the worth the lick. He has a like five thirty eight free throw percentage. I think you need those are rookie numbers. You need to bump those up, brother. Like I cannot understand how this dude is just like completely failing to get it. I mean, the last few games, last night, he had two free throw, like four shots from the charity stripe. You need to make these shots. I remember. One of my guys that we they used to work here more often. He used to be the producer of First Cup in fact. I'm like Kate Turner. He mentioned this to me a while back. You know, he heard somebody say this one night. It's like those are free throw those free throws are supposed to be free. You're supposed to be making those. Like that's exactly what you should be doing. You should be making those at least like six out of ten times. But somehow, some way, these guys just can't quite get it done. Meanwhile, you got guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo who take their jolly old time preparing for the free throws. That's something I, I'll never understand about why he does that. And maybe it's just he's been doing that for so long. If you are just now talking about it. But it's starting to become very much Bryce DeChambeau-esque, where he takes his jolly old time before letting it rip and hitting the driver. Like that and, and hitting it off the tee. Like, what is going on there? But that said, I've been enjoying 
what I've seen from the Sixers, and I'm hopeful that they can get it done. Because if I see a, like, a either Milwaukee Bucks or Brooklyn Nets come out of Game 7 tonight, I'm definitely thinking it's the Brooklyn Nets tonight. I feel like it's their night. You've got to have James Harden perform at a very high level. You've got to have Kevin Durant put on a godlike performance, I think, to get it done. And I think they will. But if I see Milwaukee Bucks, Atlanta Hawks on the Eastern Conference Finals, I will not care. And if we see, I, we're going to see the Phoenix Suns and the LA Clippers. Think about that statement. We're gonna, I, I'm going to pull it up in the break. But we could be on the verge of history. And it's a weird history book. And everybody's going to immediately put an asterisk on this season, and they should. They should get that out of their minds because it's not the way it's going to be. But the NBA Finals could very well feature teams that have never won a championship. Because I saw it last night from our guy Jared Roser and a couple other people. But it was mind-blowing to look back in the history of these franchises that are going to be in the conference finals, more likely than not, that have never won it, that have either never won a championship or never even been to a final. So the it's it's crazy. I'll, I'll talk about that when we come back on the show. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7 The Game dot com, and of course you can listen to the Astros tonight right here on 103.7 The Game when they take on the White Sox. Another one of our guys who entered in for a chance to win, and Astros we can get away. He won them. And is going to see the Astros play tonight. And I can't wait to see them play tonight. You can hear it right here on 103.7 The Game. First pitch, 6-10. Pre-game, 5-35. Back after this on 103.7 The Game. Numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037, The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037, The Game, 1037thegame.com. Appreciate everybody for listening in and for a couple people for calling in. And you can still call in plenty of time, 337-706-0111. Still got some time to get my final take in. We'll do that to wrap up the show. And I got to say, I was blown away by this, is by a friend of the program and friend of the station, Jared Roser. He brought up a, he put up a thread last night after the, or heading into the final game of Friday Night's Action between the L.A. Clippers and the Utah Jazz. And here's what blows me away is the fact that we could very well have a two te- a team come out of the Western Conference Finals that had n- not won a NBA championship, let alone been in an NBA championship game, NBA Finals, excuse me, in the L.A. Clippers. Phoenix has never won an NBA championship. Utah, heading into last night, had never won an NBA championship. And they still haven't. That dates back to the New Orleans Jazz, too. 1998 was the last time Utah made it to the NBA Finals. Lost in six to the Bulls. Phoenix, they lost to the Bulls in 93. Think about that. They lost In the Eastern Conference Finals, or NBA Finals appearance for 
the Eastern Conference is even crazier. 1961 was the last time Atlanta made it to the NBA Finals, losing to the Celtics. Philadelphia, the 76ers, I remember this vividly. One of the, I believe this was the last year that NBA and NBC happened. The last time we were able to hear round ball rock in its fully intended form on NBC. I think this was after Tropical Storm Allison hit, if I'm not mistaken. Because I can remember, like, it just rained and rained and rained for a couple of days. And I remember it was maybe maybe the last game of the series, and it's the last, it's after the three-peat. And I remember, like, watching it at home on the old big TV in the living room and just watching on KPLC back when we had that and seeing the NBA on NBC and knowing it's Lakers game game five. I mean, it could be game five. I don't, I don't necessarily remember. But I remember more, like, looking outside for a moment. And you know how sometimes, like, when you got a bunch of clouds and stuff and the way the sun shines out, it was pretty much, like, the most vivid gold and a little bit of purple I'd ever seen. It was like, what the hell's going on out there? It was just really cool, really cool visual that I still just, it it speaks to me still to this day. It's one of those beautiful, like, skies I had, I had ever seen, to be honest with you. So I remember that a lot. And I remember that Philadelphia 76ers team with AI, and they were pretty damn strong. But they wound up losing to the Lakers in five. But I just remember that more because that was right after, like, that was the middle of the three-peat, and I was a, I've always been, I've talked about this before, I've always been a huge Shaquille O'Neal guy. And it's not even because he went to LSU, it's because he's just such a great personality, and I followed him, like, a lot throughout his NBA career. When he went to Miami, I became a Heat guy because I wanted to see him succeed, and he did. He wanted to win an NBA Finals the first couple of years after the whole Kobe-Shaq Civil War split, if you will. But when you look at the Brooklyn Nets, the last time they made it to the NBA Finals was back in 03. And that was that was like peak Jason Kidd, New Jersey Nets team that lost to the San Antonio Spurs. The last time the Bucks made it was in 1974. Think about that. That's how long. it like, The gaps between NBA Finals appearances, let alone NBA championships, because the last time Milwaukee won a championship was back when they beat the Washington Bullets, in, and I don't even know if it was four back then. But they swept the Bullets in 1971. The Philadelphia 76ers haven't won an NBA championship since 83. 83, that's how long it's been since that team was getting around and performing really well. 1958 was the last time the Atlanta Hawks beat uh, beat the Celtics in six to win the NBA title. That's a wild like stat to look at. So, potentially, you could have a... Western Conference champion who has never won a championship. Meanwhile, you've got the Celtics, excuse me, the Atlanta Hawks, the Philadelphia 76ers, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee. You've got, out of those, a, a, none of those teams have won an NBA final in the better part of at least 40 years. Almost 40 years it's been since the last time one of those teams involved has won a championship, if at all. That really speaks to how much of a crazy year it's been in the postseason. Because you have the Lakers, obviously. They get ousted in the first round, and this entire thing changes. Because I would be almost certain, if not for LeBron James and Anthony Davis getting injured and then being out for a significant amount of time, they would have been a team that's in contention 
to be winning the NBA title. Because from that point on, that team dropped down significantly in the standings. Because they were probably a number one seed, if I'm not mistaken, before the LeBron James injury. If not number one, they were undoubtedly in the top three. And that would have helped their lot in life a lot more rather than play this play-in tournament, which is a further reason why I don't see that happening beyond 2021, beyond the season, because of the fact that LeBron James is going to cry and complain about it because that's how he just does things. That's not knocking against him. It's almost factual at this point. It just feels like every time there's something, an inconvenience, he's going to wind up complaining about it. And he, he's even complaining about the fact that the season – this hasn't necessarily gone as well as he'd want. He's like he told he he complained about it earlier in the week. I was like, come on now, like, are you really gonna cry and complain about this? About the fact that you you talked about this at the beginning of the season, this thing was going to happen. You, I never heard you once say that, to be honest. But that's how I was just sitting there. I was like, okay, come on now, just get it together, get it together, man. Meanwhile, speaking of people who were kind of complaining and being a little crybaby. I got to talk about Jared Cook because Jared Cook decided to throw a little bit of shade towards the New Orleans Saints in an interview with Gilbert Manzano of the Southern California News Group. He was talking about because he's now with the Los Angeles Chargers, which, by the way, that's a really good team, I think. They're, they've got a lot of potential, but they're in the AFC West. they got to deal with Pat Mahomes, and they've got to deal with the rest of the stacked AFC at that. I haven't even really looked at their schedule because obviously I'm much more focused on the future of what this Saints franchise is and what their schedule looks like. But I'm going to go ahead and pull it up right now. You have the Seahawks, Washington, Dallas. Like the first two weeks of the season, no, excuse me, first week of the season, you got to go travel all the way to Washington. Then you host the Cowboys. Then you play the Chiefs, Raiders, Browns, Ravens, Patriots could be a much better team, Eagles. I think they're hoping they're better with Jalen Hurts. Good luck, God bless on that. The Minnesota Vikings, who you never know. The Denver Broncos, the Steelers, the Bengals, who hopefully, if Joe Burrow is healthy, they'll be a lot better. The New York Giants, that probably is a win. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Texans, that's going to be a win. Broncos, I mean, the Texans games will be a win for years to come. And the Raiders, you don't have to deal with the Buffalo Bills, but you still got to deal with some teams that are going to be contenders. And that's going to be entertaining to see as all get out. So I think there's a chance where they could wind up maybe sliding into a wild card if one of the teams out of the AFC North or even the AFC East like slip up a little bit. Because I would not be surprised if we've got like one or both of the wild card spots in the North or it's split between the North and the East. At least it's the way I think about it. But here's what he had to say. Quote, when you have a high-powered offense and guys with a talent to make your offense high-powered, I think there are a lot of questions in the air about how we will be. And he went on to say that that's always going to be a quote a question, but seeing the talent we have at receiver, it's just as good. We probably got better talent here than we had in New Orleans. It says, just seeing those guys and Mike Williams out of Clemson and Keenan Allen lining up all across the field in different formations splitting us out in different packages i definitely think that this offense has what it takes to become a high-powered prolific offense in the nfl in quote and i agree with him at least somewhat on that front because he threw shade but he at least threw some justified shade because he said 
keep in mind what he just said, lining up all across the field in different formations. Different formations. That may have been more of a thinly veiled reference to slant boy Michael Thomas. And that's what Michael Thomas is. He definitely runs a slant. That's his most efficient part of the game. I'm interested to see how it's going to turn around with Jameis Winston, who can actually have a howitzer for an arm and have to worry about his shoulder strength, like everybody everybody allegedly said about Drew Brees and his old air yards thing. Air yards, that thing. Don't get me started on that mess. But I'm intrigued to see how it's going to go. And that's a big reason why I think there's a chance that this offense is going to be a little bit better. But it was interesting to hear him say they probably got better talent here than we had in New Orleans. And it's a yeah, but type thing for me. Yes, I agree with you. They've got guys who can line up in a lot more different formations. Because at the end of the end of the day, Mike Thomas, I think, was pretty much built to be like Drew Brees is like Mister Reliable. That's why he's wound up getting like a billion receptions a year. But he also like says that this could be a like they're better weapons. I'm like. Keenan Allen has been very much an up-and-down guy over the last few years. Mike Williams is probably one of the better young wideouts in the league right now. But I'm not necessarily sure those two guys alone are going to make this team better. And Jared Cook isn't going to make that team much better either because he had his ups and downs with with the Saints. Like We can't say that he was absolutely perfect. But that said, there is one constant in all this. Because Joe Lombardi, the former QB's coach, now he's the offensive coordinator, so now he's running things. I'm almost certain he's going to get the best possible thing out of the Los Angeles Chargers star quarterback in Justin Herbert in a second year with the franchise. I think there's every chance where that team's going to get that much better. But it's going to take some time. And I'll admit it, I was wrong about Herbert. He performed, He looked so much better. because I felt like he was very much that... Justin Fields of that year, not just because of the fact they share the same first name, but it's the fact that I just didn't know a whole hell of a lot about him. It didn't feel like he was going to be a star player in the league. And he proved me wrong. So I'll own up to on that front. Before we take a quick timeout, though, let me tell you something we got going on. I'm not going to own up to you on this because I got to say it's fantastic. And that's the 1037 The Game Clubhouse. It's free to join. You won't be Spammed with emails, you have the opportunity to win free stuff like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Hotel. And you can only win by joining the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. Once again, free to enter, free to join. If you're not part of that already, what the heck are you waiting for? We'll be back after this wrap of the show. One final take and head into your weekend the right way. Don't forget, we'll have Astros baseball later tonight. If you would hear that right here on Acadian Sports Station 1037 the game, where we'll be after this. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 the game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it gonna be a hot one? Or is it gonna be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. 
All right, welcome back. We're wrapping up the show, as we always do. I got one final take for you, and it's something I talked about earlier in the week. And it's something I think we all need to kind of realize with the world of spider tech, spider tech, whatever, does whatever spider tech does. And it's every MLB team cheats. It's just factual at this point. It's going to be constantly. They cheat. One way or another, they're doing that. Over the years, we've seen it happen dozens upon dozens upon dozens of times. But now, I think we have more, all the more reason to believe this. And it's all the different ways that we saw the Astros do it. You know, the Royals were the first ones to have a full analytics and video department close by their dugout during their world championship year. Think about that. Then the Yankees, they had three cameras stationed in the outfield that focused on opposing pitchers' grips rather than the catcher's signs to explain judges performing better at home than on the road in 2018-2019. And this, this slash has proved that. You can pull it up. The Ace of Spader on Twitter dropped all this stuff in a massive just series of tweets that are no longer up for one reason or another. But then you also have the Dodgers. They had employees set up cameras at Minimate during the World Series, and they were installing them while wearing a team MLB polo instead of a team one. And the, che- the cheating scandal was inspired by Carlos Beltran, who used the same exact methods with the Yankees and Texas Rangers prior to coming back to the Astros program in his last ride. And it further proves the MLB has got a cheating problem. And it's become, it's been an epidemic. It's been going on for years. It's been going on for a lot longer than just the last four or five. But the Astros were the scapegoat because at the end of the day, they are the smaller franchise that was beating up on the big guys, the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And yes, they, they did do those things. I'm not saying they didn't. I'm never going to say they never did it. But at the end of the day, Everybody else was doing it. Rubbit is racing. That's the entire thing. And I appreciate everybody for listening and everybody for calling. We'll be back next week with another edition of Under the Dome with CD. Until then, take it easy, everybody. Talk to you next week.